Podcast. We're really excited to be back here. I know we've had some longer breaks between episodes, kind of in the heart of basketball season here. So um, sometimes it's hard to, to get in here and get it done, but we're, we're glad to be back. Derek, we've got a lot of exciting things coming up in the basketball world, especially when it comes to Indiana high school basketball. It's probably the best time of the year for, for the game around here. We're going to get into um, a lot of that coming up shortly, but I want to catch up on some of the things we discussed in the last episode. Most importantly, the All-Star Weekend in Indianapolis. Yeah. And you got to attend some of that, and I'm really anxious to hear what it was like to be at the All-Star Weekend. It's a bucket list thing. I I was so jealous when I found out you were going, but I I really think, uh, you know, it seemed like it was a really cool event, a lot of big success for Indianapolis, but I kind of just want to, you know, let you roll for a minute and, and see what it was like to be at All-Star Saturday night, especially in the home state. No, you're fine. I think you had a game or something that night, right? You guys were playing somewhere? We played Saturday night. Yeah, I think we had... Or you played uh, Creek. Yeah, rescheduled. Yeah, you played Creek, right? Yeah, that's right. We played okay. Creek because we, st- we uh, were supposed to be on that Friday, and it got rescheduled to the uh, to that Saturday night. I got to go home and catch some of it, though. It was um, looked pretty cool, but... What was it like to be there at All-Star Saturday night? It was cool. It was kind of like you said. It's a a bucket list thing. I think just as a basketball fan across the board, that's something that you want to try to say that you were able to go to. And You know, with it being close and being there in Indy, I don't think that there's a city that hosts events better than Indianapolis does. There's a reason why, you know, leagues and uh, tournaments and things like that keep coming back to that city. It's just the convenience of it. Everything is – Located right downtown, everything's within walking distance. You got the convention center right there. You have Gainbridge, a uh, bunch of restaurants, Lucas Oil. It's all, just like I said, it's all right there in the middle of downtown, all within walking distance, and uh, perfect city to host stuff like that. And uh, just, it really was. It was something to, that you want to be able to say that you've done. And it was cool. It was a neat experience. Uh, I don't know that I would necessarily put it on my list of things I want to do a second time. <laughs> but to say that to say that we've went and, and got to experience it in person, it looks so much different on TV, and it was kind of cool seeing a little bit of sort of the behind the behind the scenes stuff, as far as how they transition from one contest to the next, um, the different things that go on when the camera's not live, and how they try and keep the crowd entertained. And uh, it was interesting they brought out like two different sort of. Um, like halftime shows, so to speak. They had a, a girl who was doing tricks on a bicycle, and then they had a different like circus performer come out between contests when the cameras were off. And the guy had like a, I don't know, probably a 15-foot pole that he braced up on his shoulder, and the circus performer climbed it, and she was on top of it doing all these tricks and stuff. So that was neat. Uh, yeah. But it was cool. The, my favorite part was walking through the convention center where they had, uh, it was called the NBA crossover event. And it's like Jordan Brand, they had, they had a booth. Um, like uh, Starry, the drink, they had their own booth. They had a three-point contest booth where fans could line up and do a little mini three-point contest. They had N- NBA guys 
coming in and out from the different uh, the different booths and things. There were a ton of vendors that were there. Uh, while we were walking through Jason Tatum, it was his turn to be at the Jordan booth. He came walking through. Uh, I'm trying to think who else we saw. Carl Anthony Towns, he was at the, the three-point booth. While we were there, we got to see him walk away. Uh, Maxi was coming in as we were getting ready to leave. So that stuff was kind of cool. It was neat to see those guys. Uh, we saw Alonzo Mourning just walking around the convention center with him and his son and incredibly unassuming other than he's one of the largest human beings that I've ever seen. Um, but other than size, like you wouldn't necessarily think, Oh, well, that's definitely Alonzo morning. Cause he just kind of fit in. Um, we saw Scotty Barnes. He was walking through. We saw Jamal Crawford. So I would, I would say that was probably my favorite part was getting to see the, the guys that were there uh, kind of in a different aspect. A little bit, just kind of how they interacted with the public a little bit. Uh, got a chance to see the 3D printed basketball that Wilson oh, yeah, has. I've seen that, yeah. <clears throat> and if you want one, it's fine because they're $2,500, so it's like six months of teaching. If you oh, would yeah. like to go buy one of the airless basketballs that's 3D printed, they're uh, very price conscious and right up our alley. So uh, probably go and buy two of those just to be safe. And, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting getting to see that just because it's something that, you know, I think you and I have heard about and we've seen pictures and videos that have sort of been released about what it's going to look like. But for them to have the prototypes there, that was kind of cool. And just kind of getting to walk around and see the different stuff in the convention center, that was neat. I would say probably the one downside that a lot of people kind of spoke on just in passing, and I'm sure the NBA felt it too, was the weather. That was really the one downfall of the thing you know the weekend before and even the week leading up to we'd been in the 50s and the 60s for a period of time here and I think everybody had gotten kind of comfortable with the the weather change and then you know Friday kicked in and kind of kicked everybody in the teeth a little bit but uh it was a little bit cold because we left the convention center we went over to to the mall and walked around because a bunch of the the guys had pop-up shops in in Circle Center Mall and I was a little bit disappointed because I had not been in Circle Center in a while. And it was almost like a little bit of a ghost town going on. And I would say probably 35 to 40% of the stores were either empty or were closed. And I was really disappointed to see it. And I hate seeing that for the city, you know, because I can remember being a kid and, and the few times I got to go to Indy always just enjoyed walking through Circle Center because for me it was like the coolest thing in the world to walk into a mall that had three different levels to it. <clears throat> and to walk through it now as an adult and to see it kind of, you know, depleted the way that it is, really just kind of, um, I thought was kind of sad. But the pop-up stores were neat. Um, Steph Curry had one. The Jordan brand had one. Uh, Mitchell and Ness, they had one that was almost, um, like you had to have reservations to get into that one. So that was kind of interesting we didn't get a chance to walk in there but the Steph Curry one was neat they had some uh a couple like YouTube people some influencers in the basketball community in there um doing some videos and and some shooting and some recording I guess for their either their podcasts or their YouTube channels or whatever and so that was neat and then just getting to the event was kind of cool uh getting to see everything that goes into it being there in person is a whole lot different, obviously, than TV. Uh, but, like I said, it was 
a bucket list item. I don't know that I would say I would do it again, but also getting to see some of those guys in person in one place, you know, I think is certainly was certainly worth the trip, you know, because otherwise you've got to go to Indy and see each of these individual teams and you see one or two of the guys at a time, as opposed to going up here to all-star weekend. And not only do you get a chance to see the people walking through the convention center, uh, but you get a chance to see all of those guys competing in different aspects on the floor. And that was kind of cool. You know, you and I talked a little bit about the competitions themselves, the skills challenge, the three-point contest, the Steph and Sabrina, the slam dunk. Um, And I think we'll probably get into that here in just a second. But uh, it was a good experience. It was neat. Check one off the bucket list there. Uh, And if you've not been, I would certainly certainly recommend going because it is fun. It is neat. Got to do some things, I think, to maybe tweak it a little bit to make it a little bit better for the fan and to, you know, maybe make that experience, I don't know, maybe bring a different level of competition to the experience, perhaps, uh, maybe incentivize it a little bit. But uh, I don't know, you got a chance to watch it, I think, once you got home. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I I, I agree with there, and, and, you know, it's really cool to have it in Indianapolis, and it's really cool that we – Got to host that, and the city kind of got some exposure. Um, and they tried some new things in Indy, like the floor itself, um, being the iPad or whatever, like <laughs> like all the lights and stuff. And it was kind of neat, but sometimes, like I think you and I talked about, it, it was almost like a little bit, a little bit too much at times. Um, so watching it on television, that was one thing where I was like, all right, this is neat, but we're you know, we're not to just constantly flashlights on there. Um, you know, it, it was cool. I think other than just the pacing was a little bit slow. Like it seemed like it took a long time to get everything started. And being at the at the event, I, I kind of that was kind of my question for you was was that the case? Was the pacing in between the actual competition like too spread out? Yeah, and I think some of that too. I think for the the person at home watching it, it probably does feel very much like it's choppy and that it takes forever to get through. And I didn't realize, again, this is kind of where being there in person, you see a little bit of that behind-the-scenes stuff, but didn't realize kind of how much production went into everything. And so, you know, transitioning through the different aspects of the skills challenge, transitioning through the different shooters in the three-point contest. Uh, the slam dunk is pretty cut and dry. I mean, you yeah. ro- they rolled the, the judges' table out, and then from there you just kind of let the guys roll with it. Um, but there was a little bit more work that went into the other events, and I think maybe that's part of why it was so chopped up. Because I know in the past, you know, they've done the skills competition, and it's really only been what essentially the same. It's been the same course or the same competitions. Yeah. Throughout, they've just narrowed down the field based on time. It's kind of been a process of elimination. Whereas with this one, you know, you had the three different levels of the skills competition each one was a different phase and I think that's part of what drug it out too but like you and I were talking before we came on I think it's kind of a time filler you know when you go on at eight o'clock and you know that you're going to be on until about 11 you've got to fill that three hour time somehow yeah and I think uh you know with guys not necessarily being in love with participating in the dunk contest right now they've had to move the competition and add in pieces to other aspects and the skills competition this year was the aspect that they added more layers to and it was fine but it did even in person it did feel like certain things took took a while 
because I can remember sitting there looking at my phone and thinking, gosh, it's already 1030. We're not going to get home yeah. until, you know, yeah. whatever time. And we've still got this many things left for them to get through. So uh, in that regard, yeah, it did kind of drag out a little bit. Uh, and the, fl- the floor, the floor was interesting when they cut the lights off to it and it was just black. You could see the blocks of LED lights on the floor. And then once they flipped them on, it just looked like a normal basketball course. So that was neat. Uh, it was not as bright in person as it was on TV. I came home and got to see some highlights and stuff. And the the TV, whatever, whatever with the cameras, certainly uh, made that floor look a lot brighter than it was in person. Now, I was not close enough to have an idea of what it would feel like to be on it. Um, so from a player's perspective, I couldn't speak to that. But I do know that setting where we sat, looking kind of down on the court, uh, it was not as bright in person as it appeared to be on TV. But it was definitely uh, sensory overload in a lot of ways, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, One of the things that – I'll just be honest here, man. It seems like the quality of it's going, like, way down. Like, watching it on TV, it's not as exciting. I do like the three-point contest that kind of just has the same appeal – I used to really love the skills challenge, and I wasn't a big fan of the skills challenge this year. Like, you and I talked. Yeah. You know, like, I just don't feel like it is a skills challenge anymore. Like, the, the hoop that they used to pass it through, like, it was a difficult pass to make. And it's three times the size that it used to be. And I, I don't. You know, it seems like the guys used to, like, race through it. It doesn't seem like that anymore. Like, watching the clips of it, I think I could go through it just as good as those guys could. It doesn't seem like it, it really shows the skills. It used to be something that, like, Darren Williams was one of my favorites. He has the record for the fastest time. He went through it like a blur. Rajon Rondo, Derek Rose. Then they started bringing the big guys into it, and they did a great job. I just... It, it seems so much more like... Um, like professional wrestling, where it's clearly entertainment for the fans, but you know there's nothing real with it. It's like, yeah, I know, I know what I'm getting here, and that's kind of what All Star Weekend seems like to me. Like, you know, you say, I'm not sure I would go back again, because it's a thing to say you went to so you could see somebody, but the actual quality of the content to me seems pretty low now. Um, you know. We were kind of joking, talking about there, but like the 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 size of the the passing hoop was something that we kind of laughed and joked about there. It it, it doesn't seem like they they have to you know strain or, or or practice or do anything like that. You know, I said that it was so big, I felt that you know Victor Wimbanyama should have been the the goalkeeper for it because it was such a it was such a big uh, you know target to hit. I don't I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of watching that stuff anymore. I used to, to love it. I always tune in because I want to see it, but it, it seems like they care so much more about entertaining the casual fan and not the quality of the basketball. Yeah, and I love the fact, going back to the the way that the original format for the skills competition was, was you had the best eight point guards in the NBA that were all in on this thing, and you did a it was an elimination, like you put a bracket together, it was an elimination process, 
and you got down to the final two guys and it was whoever could make it through that that thing the fastest was going to be the winner and this one it felt just a little bit watered down and I think the last several all-star weekends have felt a little bit watered down and I think it's because they're reaching for guys to do the competitions you know you had your number one overall pick team of three you had your hometown representation with the Pacers you had your team of three there um and then you had your group of what they called the All-Stars, those three. So it kind of seems as if the NBA is content to simply pull guys who are already there. Yeah. As opposed to saying, hey, let's incentivize some of this stuff and let's get in, let's bring the best players that we can into these competitions and get them involved in All-Star Weekend really look to attract some fans, attract some attention, and pull eyes to either the TV or pull eyes in person and really put together a great product. And I would like to see them get back to that because I know that that's what it used to be. And it feels like kind of the last 10 years or so, it's really kind of started to slide the wrong direction. Yeah, and I think it gets worse every year. Like, I really do. I think it gets <clears throat> it gets worse each year. Uh, we're going to talk about maybe how to... Improve the All Star Game. Couple of uh, couple of seconds here, but I gotta know. You mentioned it to me via text that night. But what is Victor Wembanyama like in person? So we our seats were were pretty good. They weren't um, they weren't courtside by any means, but our seats were pretty good. So uh, we got a decent look at Wembanyama when he came. Uh, if you're not familiar, it was in Lucas Oil Stadium. So they cut the football field in half. So you had the north half of the 50 and the south half of the 50. The north half was a practice court. They had a big curtain that separated the two. And then you had the stand, the, the fans that were in attendance on the south side of the, of the stadium. And so he came walking through from the practice court down to go back into the locker room area. And when I say he's the tallest and longest human that I think I've ever seen. It's not an exaggeration. I mean, he's a legitimate... When you say 7'4", 7'5", that's a legitimate number. And to try and quantify how long his arms, his arms are, like, it's unbelievable just the size and the stature that, that he has. And to think that he's 19, 20 years old, you know, and has a 15-year career ahead of him or longer, you know, when you think about some guys, to think about what the... What he's going to be able to do in his career is, is kind of crazy. Uh, and watching him perform in a skills challenge like that and to be able to do things with the skill set of a guard at his size is is pretty special. Yeah, it is. I, I, that was amazing. Like That was one of the things I was most excited to see was like, oh, they're going to put him in there. That's going to be super fun. I won him in the dunk contest. I think if he just did a tiptoe dunk, that's a 50. Like, I don't see how you don't give him a 50. Um, I have the same theory about Wimbin Yama that I do about Yao Ming, and that's they're actually eight feet tall, but they're just not telling us. Like, they don't want to freak us out and say he's actually an eight-footer. Yeah. I think he might, I think he might be. When you said that, I'm like, no, that, that confirms it. He's eight feet tall. Um, it, was, it was interesting. So they had, I was telling you before we came on, they had the, the elevated bleachers on the baseline side. So you had all the TV stuff, and they set a bunch of the NBA guys baseline under the baskets. But then probably 
15 to 20 feet off the court was where they had the, the raised bleachers and the seats started from there and then went up into the, the, football, the football stadium seats. And there was a pack of kids. There were probably 25 or 30 kids that when they saw Wimbenyama and a couple of the guys coming from the practice court walking toward the locker room, the kids flooded the railing. And we're talking elevated bleachers in the sense the bleachers are probably four and a half feet off the ground. And then you have the railing. Then you have the kids. Wimbenyama was looking the kids in the eye as he was taking their items to autograph. I mean, I've just never seen... Shaq is the largest human, I think, total size I've ever seen. But Wimbenyama's the easily, without question, the tallest human that I've ever seen. I mean, he was looking the kids in the eye and just casually taking their things to autograph, signing them and handing them right back. It wasn't like he was reaching for anything. It was just looking them eye to eye. And that was, that was wild to see. That is wild. I, I would, I would love to go to Indy when he's in Indy and plays the Patriots. I'll have to do that too. Um, last thing, what, uh, what's it like to see a dunk contest in person? I know the dunk contest isn't, as great as it used to be, but it's still right. you know, got to be an interesting thing to see that. Uh, I will say the one negative thing that I can take away is I don't love the fact that Shaq is now being made out to be, um, I don't know what you'd call it. The He's a prop. The, the, I guess the human dunk prop or whatever, how it, whatever term you want to give it. I don't like that Shaq is now – the one that every single one of these guys goes to to pull out of the crowd to jump over because to me Shaq is better than that. Like I understand, I completely agree. I understand these guys that play for certain organizations that want to pay respect to a former player or to a former great. You know, they take the jersey off, put on the the throwback player, put on the Hall of Famer jersey, and and do a dunk to to honor that person. But I don't love the fact now that we're in this habit, kind of going back to Nate Robinson, it was one thing when it was like the occasional, like, oh, hey, this will be funny. Let's get Shaq out here. Let's get Shaq involved because, you know, everybody, Shaq is universally loved. But the fact that you started the dunk contest with Jaime Hawkes jumping over Shaq, and I get the heat connection there, but then you finish the dunk contest by bringing Shaq back out. To me, we're at a point here where we're going to have to get a little bit more creative in what we're doing. Um, I just, I didn't love that because, like, you know, I don't know. To me, Shaq's a Hall of Famer and is is better than being used as everybody's prop in the dunk contest. I'm so glad you said that. I texted my brother when they brought him out the second time. texted both my brothers and said, this is one of the five to ten greatest basketball players we've ever had. And he was a prop every year now. That is ridiculous. It overshadowed the dunk contest to me, where it's like, yeah, I get it. The, you know, the little guy that's in the G League is better dunker than anybody in the NBA, I guess. But we have to bring out Shaq every time. Yeah. I was, I'm kind of disgusted by that. He's a Hall of Famer, and it's not like a guy that's like, oh yeah, that guy's in the Hall of Fame. He's one of five to ten greatest players. He's on every top ten list. And. It's it's a little disrespectful. Would you jump over Jordan? <laughs> I, know, I know he's not. I know he's not MJ. I'm not saying that, but he's on that top ten list with MJ. And I was like, yeah, but when everyone does it, it's not as impressive anymore. And they don't do anything different. To me, they've got to take the props away or show that man some respect. 
I, I think it's ridiculous that it's a, that it's a prop. Like he's not cool because of his height. He's the most dominant player of the past forty years. Yeah. I don't know. I thought the exact same thing, and doing it once even was kind of like, okay, this has been done before. And then bringing him out again to me, I think they should have given him a zero. <laughs> like, no, someone just did that fifteen minutes ago. We know it can be done. I also thought when you talk about the jersey. I'm surprised there wasn't a Darnell Herman jersey that someone broke out. He's there, right? He's a judge. Darnell Hillman almost caused a full-blown uproar in the Lucas Oil Stadium with some of his scores that he was giving out. Yeah, um, he was, I liked it. I liked that he was critical. I would like to see. I would like to see some actual judging take place in that competition too. Um, I'm like you. You know, I think repetitively, repetitively bringing Shaq out, I thought was too much. And again, it just goes to the respect I think that he's owed for as good of a player as he as he was. But also, the repetitive nature of the dunks in general, to me, um, it kind of seemed like the go-to was we're just going to jump over something. Yeah, Taylor <laughs> Brown jumped over the shortest person that I've ever seen on television <laughs> and sat him down in a chair. I yeah. think I can clear him. Yeah, so it made him even shorter. The guy's like five foot three on a good day, and then you made him three and a half feet tall. He's sitting down. I mean, and I had no idea who the guy was that they even brought out. Uh, I don't either. I asked several people around me, and everyone was equally as dumbfounded and confused as to who this person was. But uh, I don't know. It was, it was very, it was very okay. Had it not been for Mac McClung. I don't know what my rating would have been on the event. Um, even with him bringing Shaq out that second time, I did think the dunk that he used to cap it off was the best dunk of the night. Uh, oh yeah. I don't know. There's some things that are there's some things that are gonna have to happen for NBA All Star Saturday. I think to to get back to where it used to be, to get back to where it needs to be. And obviously some things that need to happen with the actual All-Star game itself that we'll get into talking about later. Uh, Agreed. But, no, overall, bucket list item. Glad to say I went. It was a cool experience. Uh, Got to see some extremely large humans in person. Uh, Got to see some pretty cool people in person that I've not had the opportunity to see. You know, the ones you watch on TV, grew up watching as a kid. and uh, To kind of put a real-life perspective to them, you have a whole new appreciation for how large NBA players are. You know, yeah, I you think you. Until you see them. Yeah, Absolutely. you get used to watching it on TV, and they're all the same size on TV. Um, but when you're standing yeah. next to them, it's a whole different ball game. And they had a group uh, that came in with the basketball without borders. Oh yeah, you're talking about this. They had a they had a clinic and a practice session um, where they brought those kids to Indy, and they got to play here in the states and meet some of the NBA guys, and this was a group that, because uh, I guess Basketball Without Borders is in Mexico, it's in South America, it's in Africa, and there's a couple throughout Asia, and there's one in Australia where they host uh, different camps and different clinics and kids attend them, and I guess you must work your way up through the Basketball Without Borders as you age. I guess they have different age groups that right. kids are in. This look, it was definitely a high school group that came in. And we looked up one of the kids because my buddy, who's about 6'3", uh, made it a point to go walk behind this kid. Because as we were walking through the crowd, we were getting ready to leave. 
and we passed one group of guys, and they had jackets on. I thought maybe it was a college team that maybe came into the area and maybe came to Indy to see the event. But as we got closer, walked past a few more kids, we saw the Basketball Without Borders logo. Like, oh, okay, well, this is high school kids from obviously somewhere. And we figured out that they were from Africa. And all I, all I remember looking up and seeing was this person that I thought they were standing on top of a box. Like, that's how much... <laughs> That's how much taller this person was than everyone else around them. Because all you saw was like shoulders and the the kid's head. And it was, I mean, he was that much taller than everybody else. And legitimately thought he was standing on something because he was so tall. And so my buddy, like I said, walked up. He made it a point to kind of walk behind him and see where he, he stood. Kind of measured himself like Embiid did against Wimbanyama that night. And uh, we got... We got home and the next day my buddy looked him up and he's seven foot two uh, and is being recruited by Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, and somebody else. So And had I had I remembered his name, I would have written it down. Uh, but that we're, was we're all know it here pretty soon, I Yeah, think. that was kind of cool. Uh, they had a a thing set up, they had like a a, a makeshift what looked like the outside of a barn with a hoop yeah. set up on it. So again, the Indiana field there, they had the Hickory Huskers bus in there too. You could walk in, take pictures of it, but the, the barn set up, they were playing knockout on it. And so the, the kids, the high school kids, the basketball thought borders guys, they walked over, they were playing knockout. And uh, this kid, he was walking up and he was literally dunking without really having to jump. Oh man! <laughs> so he was throwing the back, throwing the ball at the backboard to himself, catching it, hammering <laughs> it. But that was cool. That was neat getting to see some of those guys too. I thought, and a good experience for them. I mean, gosh, could you imagine yeah, being sure. being a high school kid, being 16, 17, 18, getting to come over to that event, and I'm sure probably meet the people that they got to meet and and do yeah. some of the things. I'm sure uh, having ac- different access and. Uh, getting to go in. I thought that would be neat because they did have some practices and things there. So uh, that was cool. Got to see Sean Kemp. I forgot to tell you that. Oh, really? We passed Sean Kemp on the way out. He's and a uh, now. Yeah, another just massive human. Like, again, you don't think how big these guys are until you see them. Yeah, for sure. But, no, that was cool. Yeah. It was, it was yeah, fun. It was a awesome. good time. It was a good time. Yeah, man. That sounds like fun. I'm, I'm jealous, man. I'll have to... I'm gonna have to make it out to one of those before we uh, get into our four quarters uh, after the break. I've got a I've got a uh, Darnell Hellman tidbit as we're talking dunk contest. Legend has it he could take a dollar off the backboard and leave change. And I was I was hoping maybe somebody might try and break that one out just because that's the the Darnell Hellman legend, but maybe maybe a little bit too difficult. But <laughs> <laughs> that may be the next step. That may be what has to happen. They may have to bring some excitement back and just see who can touch the top of the backboard. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to go four quarters, discuss uh, right off the top the sectional preview in Indiana. All right, welcome back. We're going to get started with our four quarters segment. We're going to jump down a few levels of basketball after having a fun all-star weekend conversation, but we'll be back with them in a little bit. Uh, well, let's talk sectional basketball. I know I'm really excited to get started in the sectional. It's very nerve-wracking. We watched the draw on Sunday, got the team together, um, you know, had had Amir, watched them draw 1A through 4A. 
Uh, it was fun to get the team together to do something like that. I always loved those, you know, kind of team meals and events like that. Um, but this is probably the most exciting time of the year for Indiana high school basketball. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but I always think oh, it's, yeah. it's definitely the most exciting. Yeah, for sure. I, this time of year, it's it's sort of bittersweet because you know that you're almost to the end of a long season and you think about all the stuff that you've been through and how you got started in, you know, technically speaking, started in November, but really, you know, the season doesn't ever quite come to an end. You get started in June and before you know it, school starts and you've got off-season workouts and then you're into legitimate practice and, and before you know it, we're, we're into March here and or pushing March and uh, this time of year, in Indiana, this time of year is very special uh, and I think it's something that unless you've You've played in it or coached in it or or been an athletic director or something like that. I don't know that a lot of people from the outside quite understand what this time of year means to a lot of people and a lot of communities in Indiana. Uh, and this is kind of what the movie Hoosiers was built on in a lot of ways yeah, because sure. this is the time where, uh, you know, communities will, will close down for – the upcoming Friday and, and Saturday night to watch their teams go and play in a sectional semifinal and a sectional final. And it's always interesting to me, too, that regardless of record, whatever two teams you've got matched up, it, it, the 0-0 record 100% I think applies this time of year because it, it never, seems, uh, never seems to fail that you put two teams in a sectional matchup and it's going to be a nail biter. It's going to be close. It's going to be competitive. It's going to be physical. Uh, you're going to see teams that that struggled during the year come out and make everything in the first quarter in some cases. Uh, and to, to me, it's just there's not much better uh, than this time of year. I know you're right in the middle of it. You guys are scouting. You're getting ready. Um, you've got a Charlestown team in what I think is going to be a very fun – matchup between Charleston and, and Corden. Um, I think you guys are pretty evenly matched in that game, so I think it's going to come down to which team can execute, you know, who makes the fewest mistakes, who sticks to the game plan. And, uh, you know, and to add to it, you know, the typical Charlestown sectional has changed. You guys are in Scottsburg. The crowd's going to be on top of it. It's going to be noisy. It's going to be loud. It's going to be at 112 degrees. It's going to be building. 900 degrees in there. Um, grief. and for that, like, I think I would be looking forward to that experience if I were, if I were coaching and playing right now and getting to see a sectional atmosphere in Scottsburg. I know the girls sectional has been over there a couple of times. This is the first time I can recall them hosting a boys sectional, I think uh, it's been a while, probably. for 3A. I know it's been a, a, quite a while cause it's been, uh, you know, Charlestown seems to kind of be with their facility, obviously, um, is the easy choice. But between Charlestown, Corden, and Salem, it kind of feels like those three kind of rotate whoever hosts. And getting a chance to see a sectional in Scottsburg over there in Meyer Gym is probably going to be a pretty special experience too, especially and with some of the teams that are in it. Uh, you know, Scottsburg being the favorite at home hosting the sectional, Silver Creek yeah. being good, you and Charlestown, I think, you know, you two being very evenly matched. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it will be for sure. I mean, Scottsburg's number one team in 3A right now. That's the, you know, kind of the battle going into this 3A sectional. And, of course, they're, you know, they're at home. So that just makes it so much more fun that they're going to get that crowd on their side when they're, uh, you know, sometimes a, not the short of a juggernaut. 
I think, to yeah. do with, with the talent they have. Um, yeah, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for that atmosphere. I love going to Charlestown when they have those, but it'll be cool to go to the old gym and, and see the uh, what it feels like to be in a, more of a classic basketball, Indiana high school basketball gym. Oh, you're going to – I think that gym seat's right at 3,000. It's going to feel like there's 6,000 people in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, those old concrete seats, they call it the pressure cooker. <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be a hollow, man. It's going to be fun. I, I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see what those other games are like in there, too. I mean, when Scottsburg comes out there the first time yeah. on their floor, it's going to be exciting to see what their fans are like. But uh, we'll definitely have a battle with Charlestown, and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, Coach Lynch and having Coach Shannon on the bench there at Charlestown definitely makes it even more fun. To get to you know see what yeah. those guys cook up for us is makes me nervous, but it's it's exciting. Hey, you've got to ask you got to ask Shannon pregame how the uh, how his concert was. You got to ask him how the I concert was. Man, I forgot. I'm gonna have to do it before the game. Maybe it'll psych him out. Thinking <laughs> a little too much about a little too much about the uh, you know Italian opera. Music. He'll start having some flashbacks from the concert and forget a set yeah, or two. Maybe get, he'll get lost in the music. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> keep, keep, maybe take the edge away from him. <laughs> Anyway, there's some really exciting sectionals, obviously, everywhere, like you said. It's clean slate. We're starting over. But there's some great ones, especially in our area. So that's kind of what I want to talk about in this first quarter is um, these upcoming sectionals. We're going to kind of talk 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A. What sectionals are you looking forward to, excuse me, looking forward to the most? What teams do you think will be fun to watch or are there just tournaments in general around that, that you think would just be – fun to be there if you could attend or you know we know we're going to hear great stuff out of so let's start with 1a is there a section on 1a that you're really excited to see or a team maybe around in 1a that that gets you most excited about the 1a tournament ball yeah and i'm going to stay close to home and be a homer here um again i don't know a ton about 1a in the northern part of the state um, but i do know that gosh cam you and i talked about this a couple of times both in in text and conversation and on here but 1a basketball in southern Indiana, might be as good as it's ever been right now. And I completely so agree. the sectionals I'm looking at in 1A, I picked two, and again, I'm, I'm going to be a homer. Uh, but close to home is Borden. I'm looking at their sectional. Uh, Christian Academy out of New Albany, West Washington, here from Washington County out there in Camelsburg, Lanesville, South Central, Rock Creek from down there in Sellersburg, and then the host school Borden, they draw the bye Going into Friday night, the winner of Game 2 playing Lanesville or South Central. My money would be on South Central in that one. Uh, and looking at this, I would I would predict Christian Academy to knock off Dub Dub in the first game on Tuesday night. Again, I would go South Central over Lanesville. Uh, and I think it sets up really well for Christian Academy. And I'm going to go with the home team, Borden, over South Central. Uh, but I think I've got to give the nod to Christian Academy. I think that they are probably just a touch – more talented, and uh, you and I were talking a little bit too about the the Renfro kid that they have. We've been getting some updates on what he's doing in the North Harrison game tonight, and if he's able to replicate anything like what he was able to do in the first quarter against North Harrison tonight, I think Christian Academy may be cutting the nets down in that 1A sectional there in Borden. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's one of the ones I have marked too. Um, You know, we played South Central the other night. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, we played South Central the other night, and uh, Doc and his assistants were there uh, scouting, so I know they'll have something interesting for uh, South Central when they play. Um, last time South and CAI, when South and CAI played this year, Renfro had like 45, I think, and didn't play much of the fourth. So what I think is really interesting about that one 
is when you look at South Central with a kid like Cole Thomas, who's a really nice player this year, Christian Academy with Josh Renfro, Borden with Kaysom Nash. There are some dudes in that sectional, like all with the exception of a couple of the teams that are, you know, a little bit weaker in that sectional. There are guys that any one of those guys on those teams that we just mentioned, or those three, have the capability of taking that tournament over. Nash, Thomas, or Renfro, any one of those guys, I wouldn't be shocked if their team won because it's like, oh, well, of course they did. Of right. course Nash shot the lights out. Of course Thomas shot the lights out. Of course Renfro shot the lights out. That's what makes it fun is they've got their, you know, their guys that I just think it's going to be one of those battles, and it's one that, man, I wish I could be there to watch a game like that. You know, that's that's going to be a really fun one. Um, I've got another one marked for 1A. I'm, I bet we have the same one. What do you got? I would lean toward us having the same one, too. Survey says Lagoni is the number one answer on the board. Uh, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah, I've got Lagoni, too. That one might be maybe the best sectional anywhere across the state. I think that could end up being the best sectional matchup that that we have. I, I don't know how you feel about it. With Barreve, um Coach, we mentioned two guys, by the way, who've been on the been on the uh, podcast, Coach Nash at Borden and then Josh Thompson at Bar Reeve. Um, Josh Thompson's team at Bar Reeve is number one team in 1A right now. They are just phenomenal. And then a team I got to watch a couple weeks ago that is a just well-oiled machine in Orleans. I think that ends up being the championship. They, uh, Bar Reeve beat Orleans by three in triple overtime this year, uh, back on December 2nd. For a 40-37 triple overtime game is not down drag out, man. That, <laughs> is, that is Jack Butcher's dream. <laughs> That's seven quarters of basketball. Somewhere, points. Jack Butcher is tipping one back and celebrating that somewhere. Absolutely. Smiling down on us. Yes. Watching some, some beautiful... Some a beautiful thousand world. percent. Haste basketball, we'll call it that. Nothing but, but well-executed offense, well-played strategic defense. Yeah. Yes. And nothing wrong with it. I'm, I mean, that those are as good as you get across the state basketball. Wise. No, and you, I, you and I both know that those two teams aren't going to give you the chance to blow you out. And both of those teams also, you know, we've been lucky enough to have Coach Thompson on the podcast with us. Uh, but both of those teams also take a ton of pride in wearing the uniform that they wear and in playing to their system. And they take a bunch of pride in being able to take the other team out of everything they want to do. And so when you talk about 40 to 37, you're not getting into a track meet with those two schools. You know, they're going to grind you down. They're going to execute their stuff. They're going to want to do what they do, and they're going to do everything that they can on the defensive end to take you out of what they want to do. I'm in complete agreement with you. I think it comes down to an orleans bar Reef sectional final. I am not going to pick a winner because I don't want to do any ill justice to either one of those squads. I think they are both incredibly deserving, and we could both sit here and probably flip coins to pick a winner because I think that one's going to be as good of a game as you're going to see in southern Indiana. Uh, I completely agree, and I think you said it, and I agree. I'm going to be sad when one of those teams loses because oh, it's, it's the, a shame that they both can't make a run. 
and I, I've said this probably till I'm blue in the face, and people probably are tired of hearing me say it, that uh, you and I have talked a little bit about kind of like jobs that we would love to have. Oh, yeah. And I would absolutely love to work at the IHSAA and to have a hand in being able to pick conferences and to help align sectionals. Because Bar Reeve and Orleans, to me, that should be a regional that should be a regional matchup. And you and I have talked about why for a few times. I wish the IHSAA would go back to the original format where you have your sectional week, you have two games for regional, semi-state becomes one game where you put multiple classes in the same gym, and then you advance to the state finals. But to me, when you have two schools like this, uh, and I know it's all about geography and proximity and things like that, but there is a way that you could work those 1A sectionals to where you're putting those two schools in different sectionals so that they can match up in a region. Could you imagine the gym at a place like Washington or Southridge if you had a bar if you had a Bar Reeve and Orleans regional? Oh yeah. I mean you, you talk about closing town down. No kidding. No kidding. It's you, a ghost town. Absolutely. And again, you know, the IHSAA is a business. And for me, I'm doing whatever's best for business. And I'm thinking long term. I'm not necessarily thinking what does a sectional final look like. I want to think about what does, what's the first or second game in regional look like? You know, what does, yeah. when the horn goes off at 10 a.m., how packed is this crowd? How many people do we have in the stands? When we bring people back at 8 o'clock for, this, for the regional final, you know, what does this gym look like? And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm like you. I hate the fact that, the, that one of these two schools is going to have to go home after sectional. Uh, but to me, the winner sets themselves up to to advance pretty far. They're going to be yeah, a. I agree. They are going to be whoever comes out of that sectional is going to be a tough out moving forward. Agreed. Agreed. And that's that's a discussion for quarter two. I'm excited to have. Let's jump to two A. Uh, any two A sectionals and and or teams you're excited to see? I bet we have the same one here too. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna again. Uh, I've got one non-homer pick, and it's just a discussion, so we can kind of think, see what we think about, you know, who okay. may be a potential matchup coming out of the northern part of the state. Uh, sure. But I got to start at Southwestern. I'm sure that's probably where you're starting too. Um, Southwestern host, hosting the two A sectional, and arguably maybe the best two A sectional in the state. Looking at uh, Eastern, looking at Eastern from Pekin, you know, they're 10 and 11, just one game under 500, uh, playing Providence in the first game, who's 16 and three. Uh, that's on Tuesday night. Wednesday night, you have Clarksville at nine and 12, playing the host Southwestern, who's 20 and three. They've had a very good year. Uh, second game on Wednesday night is Henryville at eight and 14, playing Brownstown at 20 and four. Uh, we have spent plenty of time talking about Brownstown. We ha- We know exactly what what they have to offer. And then on Friday night, Austin at 7-15 and 15 draws the bye to play the winner of Eastern and Providence. Um, so winner of Game 2 will play the winner of Game 3. I have Providence over Eastern. Uh, winner of Game 2, I've got Southwestern. So that would be Southwestern playing Brownstown in the second game on Friday night. And I've got uh, Providence and Brownstown advancing to the sectional final. I have that as well. That is the two A one that I think is 
I think it's all eyes on that one around the state. Or maybe, I don't know, it feels like that here. I know it's more of a homer, but, like, I know Brownstown Central is the team that's kind of got the buzz. And I've, you know, got to see them in person um, this year, and they are as good of a basketball team, top to bottom, as I've ever seen. They just don't make mistakes. They are on the same page at all times. Everyone is a threat. All aspects of the game are a threat for them. Um, the fact that Providence and Brownstown will likely end up in the championship is just so fun because there's kind of a rivalry with that team, it seems like, be- because they've been in the sectional now together, and it seems like they've kind of built a little bit of a rivalry. They play each other the first game of the year. Um, that game was a battle. It was really fun to watch. And Providence, to me, is the team, if anybody can knock off Brownstown in 2A, I feel like that's the team that can do it. And I'm not saying they will, but you know, another, another coach we've had on here, Coach Miller from Providence, um, he's got a good squad, and he's somebody that's, you know, they're really dangerous come tournament time. They played Providence to a very close game last year in the sectional, and that, I imagine, is what we'll see again. But when, if Providence gets out of that, or I'm sorry, if Brownstown gets out of that sectional, I mean, I, I don't want to use smooth sailing. That's not what I'm trying to say because I don't want to undercut anybody, but it just seems like the team that I don't know who can, I don't know who can beat them. But then they've got everybody. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, Providence seems to be one school that does play Brownstown really well in this in this area as far as Brownstown's schedule goes. Uh, you know, even looking at, at Brownstown playing, you know, Jeff and Bedford and some of those schools, New Albany. Providence is a school that plays them about as well as anybody. And coming yeah. into sectional time, sectional time uh, gosh, uh, it's going to be a slower pace. And you know the style that Coach Miller will want to play getting into sectional, trying to hold Brownstown a little bit. Obviously, Benner will be the focal point of their defensive scheme. But uh, I'm like you. I think if I – w- I still pick Brownstown to advance. I think that they are uh, – you know, they're a top ten team in the state for a reason. And, We're of class, yeah. Um, <clears throat> still, um, still think they're the best team in the section. Do what? Who's your non-homer pick for 2A? Thing you were saying. Oh, the non-homer pick, um, just as a simple discussion, would be the the Tipton sectional. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's you cool. know, Tipton number one and two A, number two and two A, depending on what uh, what ranking system you're looking at, or what uh, I guess whoever I get um, depending on what I can't even think of the word uh, news outlet. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. Depending on whatever news outlet you're looking at that does the rankings, um, Tipton falls somewhere in their number one, number two. They're twenty-one and one. Um, they play Elwood in the first round of sectional eight and fourteen. They've got Blackford in their sectional twelve and ten. This looks like a sectional that Tipton probably walks through. Uh, and got to think as far as who Brownstown could potentially see right. down the line. Um, I would look at Tipton at that being a school that. Uh, comes out of their sectional and looks to advance pretty far. So uh, just wanted to kind of mention that one as Tipton would be another favorite there in the in the 2A class. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how about 3A? Is anybody in 3A that you said? I know we kind of talked about the, the local one here with the conference. Uh, a lot of the conference guys around here that are that are in that. I mean, um, I personally don't want to talk about it because I know who the favorite is, and it's not super fun for me to have that discussion. That's Okay. Obviously, the Scottsburg sectional is, is going to be an exciting one, especially them hosting it there. They are the number one team in 3A. Um, the 3A one I kind of want to throw out here um, is the Princeton sectional. 
Uh, Heritage Hills is in that sectional. They've got Trent Sisley. They have not won a sectional um, within the past two years. I feel like if this is the year to do it, you know, I feel like this is the year to do it because they've had such a successful season. Um, they were a really, really strong team. Um, they're very difficult to deal with. But what makes that one so interesting is that Southridge is in that sectional, and Southridge drummed them a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And in a surprising fashion, a very good team, a very underrated team. They've been ranked in 3A most of the year. Uh, we played Southridge as well. That is a very good basketball team. Um, it looked like for a while Heritage Hills was going to get their sectional title, but Southridge may uh, stand in the way of that. So I really like the Princeton sectional in 3A. I think if Heritage Hills gets out of that sectional, they could be a really tough out going through the tournament just because Sisley is more than a handful. But I like that one because of the sneakiness of Southridge, but Heritage Hills is one I think people have their eyes on because of Trent Sisley. Yeah, I wrote that one down too, and I mostly because it does play for a Southridge Heritage Hills sectional final matchup, which would be a a sequel and a rematch from that game a couple of weeks ago, where Southridge went in and did what really not what many people thought they would do, uh, but handled business against Heritage Hills and kind of made a statement in that victory. So you got to wonder, uh, you know, can Heritage Hills bounce back? Can they prove that they're a better team? Can they get their first sectional with Sisley? Uh, that will be that will be a fun sectional to pay attention to and watch also. Agreed. All right, the the last one of the uh, of the quarter here. There are some really interesting four A ones, local and not so local. Four um, A section. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you still have, do you have any more three A that we didn't mention? Uh, no, we've talked about the Scottsburg sectional. Um, obviously, Scottsburg being the favorite, and we talked about Princeton. Those were the two in our area that I kind of wanted to touch on. So we're good. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the 4A, there's obviously the local ones. Um, but I've got one that I think is really, really interesting here. Okay. Uh, the Noblesville sectional, do you have that? I wrote that one down. Not just because of who's in the Noblesville sectional, but the first round matchup is, when I saw the draw, I could not believe that this was drawn for the first round. Fisher's is the number one ranked team in four. I think the number one ranked team in the state. Yeah. Period. They draw Carmel, their only loss on the season. That is really, really interesting. By the way, Brownstown beat Carmel earlier in the year. Um, really interesting because obviously it's the team that can knock Fishers off, but Fishers is a monster of a team, man. And I don't know. I thought that was really interesting that they matched that up. Um, it would be quite a disappointing season for Fishers to be that good and get knocked off in the first round. Yeah. I kind of thought that was crazy that matchup, but that one to me might be the most interesting. It's definitely the most interesting section on 4A for me, but it might be the most interesting one across the state because Fishers is a real monster. Yeah, and Carmel had an interesting year. I mean, they started slow, uh, and then after after the new year, they really kind of turned things on and completely flipped the script on the back half of their season, which to me is a testament to to them as a team and, and their coaching staff, um, that you're able to kind of start off slow, but then after the new year, you you get better and better as the year goes on. Uh, you know, they've got wins against Pike, Brownsburg, Ben Davis. Obviously, we talked about them beating Fishers, who was the number one team in the state at the time. They followed that up with a win over Lawrence North, who was also the number one team in the state at the time because Fishers fell to number two after losing to Carmel. So Carmel has back-to-back wins this year over the number one teams in the state. 
They have also taken a loss to Hamilton Southeastern, which is also in their sectional. So this one, I'm with you. It may be one of the more interesting sectionals. Uh, you know, Carmel then finishes the year by knocking off Christmas Attics, which, you know, we can talk about as being maybe a potential favorite in their sectional this year um, at the 4A level as well. But, uh, yeah, I think this one shapes up to be very interesting because Carmel obviously has the potential to knock off Fishers. But then you look at them having maybe a meeting with Hamilton Southeastern in the second round, and Hamilton Southeastern has the capability of knocking somebody off as well. So this one's going to be fun. I still give it the nod to Fishers. They're the number one team in the state for a reason. Um, I think they've been the number one ranked team in the state for longer than anybody has this season. Uh, they've got size. They've got guard play. And uh, Jason Gardner's son, as a freshman, has really kind of announced his presence in Indiana basketball up there at Fishers this year. And anytime we can talk about a name like Jason Gardner and the impact he had on Indiana high school basketball, as good of a player as he was, to now see him having a son playing and yeah. kind of introducing himself and having an impact at the high school level here in the state too um, is, is kind of neat. So that's fun. And that's going to be a really fun sectional. Yeah, absolutely it is. Uh, that is going to be probably the most talked about sectional around, I think, with just the size of the schools and all the talent around there. Um, real quick before our buzzer goes off, um, locally, I like the the uh, Seymour sectional. Um, you know, obviously, um, that's just a fun one here here locally. I think Jeff is a fun one to watch, but I, I'm I'm saying watch out for Seymour. They're very sneaky. Jeff's a really really good team around here um, right now, but I really like what what Seymour has, and I think they're a sneaky team to come out of that sectional. Um, the other one in four A that I like is the Lawrence North one, just because I know how good Indianapolis Cathedral is. I think Cathedral is kind of my dark horse to go win a state title. So uh, Cathedral, I think, is the one to watch in Lawrence North just because they're ranked. Well, they're not ranked as high as some of the other 4A schools, but uh, I'd watch for them. Any other 4A for you? Somehow or another, you and I did not talk about the sectionals that we were going to mention, and those were the exact three that I wrote down, so I think we're good. Uh, That's good. Uh, I'm with you. Seymour sectional. You know, Jeff's the favorite. I don't rule out Seymour either. I think they've been very well coached this year. Uh and have been a little bit more competitive maybe than what people expected, which has been nice. Uh, I'm with you, yes, Lawrence North. You know, the Lawrence North sectional, Lawrence North Cathedral are probably going to be the top two to come out of there. And I would say whoever comes out of that sectional. Uh, with Fishers, if they come out of theirs, you're probably looking at, at one of those two schools as the favorite to win the 4A title. So we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of that jump in the quarter, too, as I start the clock, um, Let's give a little state finals prediction here. Let's go through the uh, through the um, classes. I've got who I think will win, but I've got my dark horse for each class. If that makes okay. sense. Um, let's go one A. Who's your favorite? Who's your uh, who you think wins a one A state title? Oh man, T going back to the Lagodi sectional, man. Again, hate the fact that one of those schools has to go home uh, between Orleans and Bar Reeve. I think whoever wins that game, I think you have to put on the short list of 1A favorites going into the regional. Uh, but a school that we've mentioned uh, very briefly is Evansville Christian. And the teams that they've been able to beat, you know, Brownstown, Scottsburg, 
it's not just that they're out running through a 1A schedule. They're running through a schedule that is pretty competitive. Uh, yes. Regardless of class, they're running through a very competitive schedule. Uh, so I look at Orleans, Bar Reeve, Evansville Christian, I think, as, as my three favorites right now, probably in any order to win the 1A state title. Um, I don't see anybody from the northern part of the state that jumps off the page at me. And so you're looking at the winner of the Ligoti sectional, you know, matching up potentially with Evansville Christian in a regional. And so for me, it's, it's whoever comes out of, whoever comes out of that regional probably goes on and wins the state title. Yeah, I completely agree. I've, I've got Bar Reef there, but the team that I, I really think is the one that's going to go win is Evansville Christian. They have beat some really good. Best yes, they have. Uh, I think Evansville Christian is is my favorite, but I, I would also throw Bar Reeve in there just yeah. because they have been so good and so dominant yeah. here. Um, jumping to two A, I have a favorite, and I don't have a dark horse. Uh, Do I need to drum roll here, or is this going to be? Any- <laughs> yeah, we'll drum roll it, and it it, no, it uh, it's Brownstown Central Bryce, man. Leader, yeah, leader in the clubhouse. There's if there was a tournament of the winners of all four classes. I would think Brownstown could beat anybody one through four A. Um, I don't. I don't know if there's a better basketball team in the state. They are so good. Um, when Benner is healthy, they drum teams. I don't think they have lost. I don't think they have lost when he plays. Right. I think the only ones they've lost are when he's been unhealthy, and he's not fully healthy right now, apparently. But uh, I've got Brownstown Central. Uh, I'm going to assume that. That's your pick as well, but I will echo your sentiments. I, I think I mean, and truly, I think the only team that stands in their way might be in their sectional. And yeah, I completely agree. And out of the four picks that we're going to make here, that is the one I, I feel the most confident in. Completely agree. I don't know who stops him, and I hope they do. I think it'd be great for Dave Benner to get that. He's had a great career. Um, I think it's cool to win one with his son. I, I really hope that Jack Benner is. Uh, Mr. Basketball. Really, I do. That's the guy I would hope to get it. Yeah. Um, 2A. I'm sorry. You just said 2A. 3A. Yeah. 3A. To me, this one may be a little bit more open than uh, 1A, 2A. I look at, uh, you know, Scottsburg. I think we've got to mention them. But as far as a favorite overall, I know that they're not the favorite in their sectional, but – I still like Gurren Catholic out of Carmel up there in Indy. I still like Gurren Catholic. Uh, you know, I know Brabuff is picked to win that sectional. Uh, but for me, they've got to beat Gurren Catholic, not the other way around. I think for, for Brabuff to come out and prove that it's their sectional, I think that they've got to come out. I still think Gurren's the favorite in my eyes. Uh, so Gurren or, or Scottsburg are my two. Yeah, you know, um... I'm not. I'm not going to speak on one of those teams, but um, and you know, best of luck. To with them. good reason. With good reason. Good reason. There. Look, I. They're good, man. They're good. But Gurren Catholic's one I have too because they're they're always there. Yeah. And when I say they're always up there, and the Buff is what is really good, and they've got some great talent that's been you know coming out and getting recruited to a lot of different places. They've they've got some serious players. And if that's a team that if they make it out of that sectional, 
that's who we might be talking about making it to the state finals too. But I don't know. Gary Catholic is just that team that knows how to win in a tournament. They always have talent. I watched them play over the summer. They destroyed some 3A teams in the summer. Um, watching them play, you know, up at that Charlie Hughes shootout, it just gives you a feel for what you're going to be dealing with in the season. I don't know. I think, like you said, I think somebody's got to prove that they can beat, that they can beat, uh, beat Gary Catholic. But I think they're a team that, that makes it their way up there. So I've got them. But I have a dark horse pick just because of the player. And I've seen him play. And I think that they have the capability to go on a roll. And I, I'm curious um, to see what they look like in a tournament. But I've got Heritage Hills. They were ranked number one in 3A for a while. They've been in the top five all year. That's a team that you've got the kid that's got the capability of taking the tournament over. He's yeah. that talented. He's that special. Um, I'm very curious to see what he looks like if they do go on a run. And, you know, he's a guy that would, I mean, obviously the state championship draws a crowd, but when you have a player of that caliber that's being recruited like that up with the state finals, to me, that makes a bigger buzz. So I kind of like the story of it. Yeah. And, well, but I also know that the Heritage Chills has the capability of, of being there within the next two years. So uh, I've got Green Catholic, but I've got the uh, Heritage Chills as my dark horse there for the 3A. Okay. Where'd you go? Uh, where'd you go with the 4A? 4A. I have again a dark horse pick, and then my you know my regular pick. My regular pick, I've got Fishers. Um, I want I want to see them go to go win that. Uh, you know they've had a tremendous season. They have a crazy hard sectional. If they get out of their sectional, I, I do not think anyone beats them. I don't think it happens. If they get out of that with Carmel, anyway, in that first round, and them coming out of that um, just gauntlet of a of a, of a sectional that they have. I don't, I don't see who beats them. So I've got Fishers as my favorite for the state title, but I have my dark horse, and that's Indianapolis Cathedral. I think Cathedral's a powerhouse. They've come down here. They they played Providence a few weeks ago, which obviously I mean, that's 2A to 4A. It's a big discrepancy. Right. That's not you know, that's a great basketball team. But they drum teams. Cathedral drums teams. And so I, I think that in a tournament, they are a pretty scary matchup. So my dark horse is Cathedral, but I think Fishers is, you know, the favorite by far. Yeah, and I would echo that. I think it's on on paper it's Fisher's tournament to lose at the 4A level. Uh, my dark horse, I'm going to go with Lawrence North. Okay. Talking about the cathedral sectional there. I think the dark horse is probably whoever comes out of that sectional. Uh, obviously going to be the battle between cathedral and Lawrence North, but I think Attics could maybe make a little bit of noise there too. Uh, they're very competitive. Uh, got a little bit of love from Tyrese Halliburton there during the All-Star Week, and that was kind of cool to see some video of. Uh, but, yeah, so I'm, gonna, I'm still going to say Fisher's at the top, but Lawrence North would be uh, my, my dark horse pick. Yeah, I completely agree. It's really hard to predict with 4A because there's just so much talent, the size of these teams. You know, and we're not talking about, you know, Kokomo again being a repeat team. Right. You know, they're a great 4A team, and you know, we haven't really mentioned them, but they've not been in the conversation as much as some of them. But right. I don't know. Excited about the sectional and, and state finals. I think we got to bring the podcast up to the state, uh, state finals. I don't know I why they don't have us a, a table set up already. Uh, I've been waiting on the email. <laughs> I just don't know, where, don't know where it is. Um, they must have the wrong you know, URL or whatever. Um, all right, let's jump through. We're going to uh, head back to the NBA 
And this is a really interesting segment that I'm excited for you. You were there. You have personal experience there now. You are a complete expert on All-Star Saturday Night. I am a primary source. Absolutely. You are a primary source. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here I am, just a tertiary. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let's talk All-Star improvements in general. In general, as we start the clock. What are some things, ideas that you have that could improve the all-star game, the Saturday night, the entire event as a whole? I think we kind of just free flow here. I've got some ideas. I want to hear your ideas. Primary source, you lead it off for us. And we've talked a little bit off, off podcast, but I think over the course of the last probably 10 years, Cam, it feels like this weekend has become incredibly watered down. Uh, yes. And I liken it a little bit to the Pro Bowl in football because the NFL, I think, has had very similar struggles. And on that level, I completely get it. From the NFL standpoint, you know, you play 16 NFL games, you get into the playoffs, your body is a wreck after that many weeks of playing that type of a sport. And to think that you've got to go and play one more that is just a showcase. Uh, I understand guys not being in love with that concept. But I think the NFL worked to address it a little bit quicker than what the NBA has. Uh, I think the NBA product in the All-Star game in general needs to change. And we can talk about that in a second. But for me, the NBA... Their showcase, where the NFL, their showcase was the Pro Bowl. The NBA has a two-night showcase. And I can remember being, being little, but also, you know, being an adult. And the Saturday night stuff being equally as exciting as the All-Star game. You were looking as forward to the three-point contest and the dunk contest as you were the All-Star game. And I think the NBA's lost that. A little bit, so they have to find a way to incentivize the Saturday night and to get the draw back to the event, to create excitement, and to get the the top players that they need in these events, so that they can get the viewership that they need and create the excitement behind it that they used to have. Uh, yeah, you know, I agree with that. Um, just in general, it's so lackluster. Uh, I, I, I was on the phone with my brother after the game, and I told him, I said, it seems like they forget All-Star Weekend is coming. And then it's the week before, and they're like, oh my gosh, we have to do that thing. And so they just kind of throw it together. It's what it seems like to me. It's very thrown together. They, the people that are kind of hosting just ramble, and it's nonsense. Um... If we're going to make it entertaining, we've got to mute Kenny Smith's mic. We can just let him think he's got it. We can let him think it's on, but we don't let him, we don't let him know, and he can just you know, say what he needs to say. He had one highlight 24 years ago when, when Vince Carter had a great performance. He had a couple cool phrases, and he is just riding the coattails of those phrases for the past two and a half decades. And he is brutal. So step one, he's got to go. There's too much rambling in the background. The All-Star Saturday night, I get the perspective now. You kind of opened my eyes when you said, hey, there's 
a lot of setup. You are correct. That is a lot of setup. I get those breaks in between. But the quality of the competitions themselves are so poor. It is so boring. To watch to watch them compete with a huge hole to pass through, they're going through at half speed, it's just not fun. You know, my favorite part of the weekend used to be the rookie sophomore game because they were so competitive. That was the most fun part of the weekend. Now they treat it just like the All-Star game. It was, I turned it on because I was like, I can't wait to see it. It was, it was ridiculous. Important. And they had two games with everybody on so many different teams. I didn't understand that format, that there were you know different teams now and there was a G League team. Look, uh, the G League's got good stuff going on. Why do they need to be at All-Star Saturday night? They're in the G League. I, I, I don't understand that. First of all, you have Mac McClung in the dunk contest, which is, he's good, but it's a joke that a G League guy is competing and winning. But we have the working sophomore game, and we're playing as G League players. That I don't get at all. They can have their own thing on a Thursday. Have a G League game on a Thursday, you know, and stream it on Peacock. I don't think they need to, I don't think they need to on TNT. But I, I would say, I, I have some recommendations, and I, I would like to hear as well, of things that we could do to improve it. My first one is the skills challenge needs to be real. It needs to be individual, not teams. It needs to be about speed. It needs to be a challenge. They used to, you know, it was pretty cool when they raced against each other, like side by side. I always thought that was exciting. But I also liked when it was against the clock. And I think you could do maybe a little of both. But... I don't know. I really enjoyed that. The only thing I enjoy still is the three-point contest. I think it's because it's it's a legit competition. You know, you've got to make your shots. There's no way around it. You can't be lazy with it. You've got to hit your shots. And those guys take pride in it. Those shooters take real pride. And the good shooters still do it. Um, do you have a skills challenge recommendation? Because I'm going to jump to the dunk contest. I don't want to... No, you're take, fine. You're fine. Uh, taking it down away from you. No, you're good. I'm with you. I think you go back to the old format. Like to me, there's if you've seen the movie Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Okay, I love where this is going. There's a scene in that movie where, uh, oh, I forget the main. I forget the the main character's real name. Jason Segel. Yes, Jason Segel. So he takes his vacation to Hawaii, right? Yeah. In the middle of his vacation in Hawaii, well, his, you know, Sarah Marshall and, and Russell Brand, their character, they happen to be vacationing at the same spot. Would be an incredibly tough experience. Sure. But while he's there on vacation, he decides he wants to go learn how to surf. So he's going to take surfing lessons. Paul Rudd plays the character that's doing the surfing lessons. Yeah, yeah. He gets him out there. He's on the board. They're on the beach. He's going through, kind of just instructing him. And Jason Siegel's character is working on, you know, popping up on the board when he gets out onto the wave. And for like four times in a row, Paul Rudd's character stops him and says, stop, you're doing too much. Stop, yeah. you're doing too much. That that would be my advice to the NBA. Stop, you're doing too much. You're doing too much. Yeah, that's great. And it goes a little bit to me talking about the production that went on to the skills challenge. And I think it also just further amplifies the fact that – your most qualified 
and your best players are the players most suitable for the skills challenge, which would be your elite point guards, are not the ones participating in the competition because you've got the hometown team where you put three guys from the Pacers. You have your number one pick category, which was their way to cram Victor Wimbanyama into something so that they could drum up ratings. And then you have the all-star selection, which is just a way for the NBA to make sure they have a third team because those guys are already there. I can remember, like you mentioned, you know, Darren Williams and those guys, Chris Paul, uh, John Wall. It used to be a legitimate point guard or a legitimate guard competition, and it was the guys who had some of the best skills in the NBA. They have to get back to that. You can't have a passing circle so big I can drive my car through it. Like, I'm just like, I'm for real. They brought the they brought the passing circle out. Then they brought the second one out for the the points. And you had the two point circle, the four point circle, the six point circle. The competition used to be just strictly based off the size of that six point circle. And they had the two point one sitting out on the wing. And I thought, good lord, my car fits like I could park my car in this circle. And, and then you had Scotty Barnes pretending like he was prime Dan Marino trying to throw a Nolan Ryan fastball through it. I mean, yeah. like, to me, that part of it, there, there wasn't a competition to that part of it. Like, that yeah, part was a little bit embarrassing. And so, to me, you're doing too much, do less, scale it back, get some, go back to some of the original formats because those worked, and do everything you can to bring in the best quality of players for these competitions. Because I'm with you. I think the shooters are already in it. But you've got to figure out the skills competition and the dunk contest. Yeah, completely agree. Um, I love that reference. And there's definitely a meme coming on our page with uh, with some Paul Rudd and some All-Star game. For sure. Uh, that That is coming in the near future. Uh, <laughs> uh, I agree. They're doing too much. Appeal to the basketball fan, not the casual fan. And I think that's the big issue is how can we get more people or how can it be so good that people want to come see? I think that needs to be the question. That's hey, fair basketball too. basketball fans rave about this. I should watch basketball. Not let's have a concert for 45 minutes before the All-Star game. <laughs> Tip-offs at, at January 5th. Tip-offs at 8 o'clock. It doesn't start until 9. You want kids to watch? It, it's not for kids. We have a con- we announced the starting lineups and we have a concert. We announced the starting lineups. And we have another person do a concert. Like they uh, last year, that was a big issue with me. It was like, man, we're we're singing for forty minutes before this game starts. Um, I have a dunk contest idea. Okay, I have two things I think will improve the dunk contest, and these are for real. One, I think there's no more props. I think you ban props. I think that has become a cop out. You just have the rock. You just go in and get creative with your dunk. Don't jump over anybody. Nobody else can pass you the ball. You can't use anything. You can't put a cupcake on the rim like Serge Ibaka. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. You can't put on a costume. You can't get a mascot. Now, the Aaron Gordon dunk when he had the mascot spinning on that thing, and he jumped up and dunked it. It's the, I, the greatest dunk of all time. It's the greatest dunk of all time. But I think for a couple of years, you got to take the prop out. What can you do? Just drive to the hole, 
and let's see what you got. You can throw it up to yourself. You know how you kind of do that, you know, yeah. high arcing alley oop. Okay, I'll give you that one. That's it. Let's just see you dunk it. Because Jalen Brown jumped over the shortest person in the world in a chair, and Jason Tatum threw him an alley oop. And here's my second one. No 50 if you miss the first attempt. Everybody okay. complains that it's not a 50. Not every dunk is a 50. Not every dunk is a 50. And if you miss the first attempt, I think you should get no more than a 45. I don't like watching guys banging off the back of the iron, and then they're complaining that there's no 50. Right. And this is from a guy who can dunk a donut. Like, I know that this is hard for me to sit here and say, I'm not impressed. It's not that I'm not impressed with what they can do. Mac McClung jumped up over a guy and dropped the ball in midair and picked it back up. That was really cool. But as a whole, I think the quality is, like you said, is watered down when there's so many props. It's not that it's not impressive. It's that I think too much of that kind of flash takes away. You know, it doesn't have to be crazy boring, but I think so many of the the props have gotten weak. I, mean, I remember a time when JaVale McGee brought out two basketball goals. Crazy underrated. Cannot believe that people don't talk about that one. But to me, I think the biggest issue is we are we are copping out with a prop, and the props are really, really weak. Um, so those are my dunk contest suggestions. you have a dunk contest suggestion? This... This would be more of an overarching All-Star Weekend suggestion that's applicable to the dunk contest as well. I want to see the NBA incentivize guys in participating in the weekend and in the events as a whole. So my, my olive branch of peace that I would extend out as the NBA to the players in an attempt to try and bring in the guys who need to be involved in this. And I'm talking the your upper level, your elite players in the league. You put a million dollars on the table for all three competitions. So winner of the, of the skills competition, you, here's a million dollars on the table. Three-point contest, million on the table, dunk contest, million. With the caveat being the winner of each, the winner gets half a million. The other half a million is donated to a local charity of the all-star city that is hosting the, the weekend. Yeah, Indiana, like Indianapolis could have, cho- could have chose the charity. Right. Or you let the, you let the NBA and the mayor local representatives, you let those people get together in a room and they decide where they want the money to go. Now, maybe it's all half a million goes to a hospital or maybe it's all half a million goes to a food shelter or pothole reconstruction. Uh, That would be a major... Allegedly, they fixed a bunch of potholes in the middle of Indy. So all you have to do is have your city host a major event where people from other places are going to come in and talk about what a travesty your roads are, and they'll fix potholes. They find asphalt really easily when you're about to host a major sporting yeah. event, and yeah. they don't want people 
breaking legs and tearing out the undercarriages of their car. Uh, <clears throat> but that would be, to me, that's the best way to go about And maybe I'm wrong, but to me, that would be one way to incentivize it is put some, yeah, put some legitimate money on the table that's going to attract these guys, you know. And maybe you put some sort of contract together where you say, okay, listen, you participate in said event once. You can take a two or three year gap or sign a contract that says, um, who do we have coming up? Uh, let's see. Well, well, we'll just use Dame. So, you know, Lillard wins the three-point contest. Maybe he signs something that says he will participate for two or three years in a row. Okay, you fulfilled your duty. You're good. If you want to come back, there's an open invitation. But you don't have to. But if you don't want to, you fulfilled your you fulfilled your obligation. And so maybe you look at doing something like that to further attract guys to come in. But they've got to do something to change up that All Star Saturday night uh, to make it watchable. Uh, the boos during the dunk contest were incredibly loud. Oh, you can hear that on TV. Um, and that is especially when they put down the Boston Garden on the floor. A little bad call in Indiana, by the way. Very. I'm not sure why they did that. One. Was not a good look. Um, was not well received. Yeah. And there's a few things that, a few things that you can do. But one of the things you cannot do is fool Indiana basketball fans, regardless of what gym you are in or what the venue may be. Uh, it's something that's taken pretty seriously, and they did not stand well for the, the scoring on Jalen Brown's dunks in particular, and for the showing of the Boston Garden in Lucas Oil. Horrible choice. Who? Someone got fired for that, uh, or I hope so. Well, I love your incentivize, okay? I'm not going to take credit for this incentivize thing, but I, I have a couple of real ones here. But Someone said the incentive needs to be the losing all-star team gets their Instagram DMs leaked. <laughs> They're going to play hard then. Uh, we'd love to see that suggested. Um, but for, so, so I have a suggestion, I think, that will improve All-Star Saturday night, and then I have a couple of All-Star game ones. Uh, let me, uh, I want to know what you think. Okay. If you were elected to the All-Star team, it should be in a contract that you are required to participate in an All-Star Saturday night event. Okay. If you are an All-Star, you have to participate in some capacity. That would add a few more people to the dunk contest, a few more people to the three-point contest, and a few more people to the skills challenge contest. I think maybe we could open it up to people who aren't that. I get it. You want to see people who aren't all-stars. but And maybe it doesn't have to be everybody, but maybe if it's your first time as an all-star, you have to do it. Or within the first five, you've got to do it. Something like that. Or there is a requirement of a minimum number of all-stars. Something like that. But I think you have to have the all-stars involved. Because at this point, we are getting... Scrubs participating in this. The dunk contest is a guy who cannot play in the league. It is other guys that do not see minutes on the court. It is not exciting to watch a dunk contest with guys who don't play. I mean, Jalen Brown plays. I don't want to, you know, crap on Jalen Brown here. But we used to have superstars be in it. Dwight Howard was a superstar. Yeah. He was part of it. And he was cool to have Nate Robinson. But some guys get famous for the dunk contest. That's cool. But 
a Nate Robinson, Mac McClung, you know, dunk contest, you get one of those guys in a group of stars. Not, hey, I hope somebody that people recognize in the dunk contest. I don't watch it. I don't want to right. watch somebody. Right. You know, I, I want to see a, I want to see a guy. So I think having an all star requirement would help. For the All Star Game itself, which is brutal to watch, it's brutal to watch. I heard Bill Simmons the other day say, "If you want to improve it, make it all twos. Take the three point line away." Because as much as I enjoy shooting, I enjoy shooting as much as anybody. But everybody's got to take their forty foot three in this game, and a handful of guys have to take a bunch of them. So we're not seeing anything happen. We're just seeing them jack it up. If you take the three away, there's no incentive for that. And then they're actually doing something. I, I think there has to be, you know, I don't know if they could really do that, but it was an interesting idea because it just took away the let's just jack up the 40-footer. Um, but my real one is they have to do it like baseball. Baseball has the best all-star game. You can't not be competitive in a baseball game because what, are you just going to put your bat on your shoulder and strike out on purpose? But what baseball does is you get home field advantage in the playoffs. If the American League wins, the American League has home field advantage. If the National League wins, the National League has home field advantage. If you did home court advantage, I think it changes it. The NBA doesn't want any consequences for the All-Star game, yet they're putting out a poor product. I think if it was home court advantage, I think it changes the dynamic. Can I give you a counterpoint? Okay, I want to hear a counterpoint. I think I, I do like that idea because you have to create some sort of uh, some sort of built-in incentive or almost like consequence to the game to get these guys to play. Because I'm with you, like as a coach, as a player, I've been involved in some just I don't want to say horrendous, but I've been involved in open gyms that were just not pretty. Right? We've all seen those when the kids get tired. The last couple of games. They're difficult to watch. And to me, the NBA All-Star Game has almost gotten to a point where it's a bad open gym with great players. Yes. And the repetitive letting guys take half-court shots, you know, letting Jokic and Luka volleyball tip pass the ball back and forth for 94 feet without anyone stopping the ball, getting in the middle, Anything like that. Like, to me, that kind of stuff, it wears on me and it makes the product not worth watching because I know yes. I know it's not competitive and I know they're not taking it seriously. So, to your point, to counter the, the home court advantage to the winner, I would say this. Each all-star gets a certain amount of money for being an all-star. There's, that, there's, the, there's the monetary incentive. Right, you get money when you become an all-star, yeah. I think you have to look at penalizing their money. Take it away or they get less. What I mean by this is, instead of saying, I don't know what the incentive is, if it's half a million or what they get for for being elected to an all-star team and for playing in the game, I don't know what it is that they get, but I say you take the Eastern Conference, you take all of that money, you put it in a pool, Western Conference, their player money goes into a pool. No one knows how much money they're going to get for being in the All-Star game until the All-Star game is over. 
And so okay. my incentive is the, the amount of money in each team's pool diminishes based on the amount of points that your team gives up. Okay, this is a really good idea. And I started, at, I started at 125 points. So if you defensively give up 125 points, you take cash away. When you get to $150, you take more, 150 points, you take more cash away. From there, it's every 10 points, you remove cash. That's a really, really good idea. And if you get to the point where your team has given up 200 points... You don't get any money. Here's a gift card to Amazon, dude. Thanks for showing up. Free. <laughs> Say it, <Saint> Elmo's. <laughs> free, free shipping is on us. Yeah. They give you free shrimp cocktail. Yeah, here's a shrimp cocktail. Yeah, that's a good, that's a great idea. And then they leak your DMs. No, that's a great, <laughs> that's a great idea because that's the only way it's going to work is if there is an incentive to, as our buzzer goes off, to play defense. Because it's disgusting to watch. And I'm not being, you know, like an old guy that, oh, this isn't fun. No, it is. It's, it's, it's hard to watch. Uh, it, it definitely is. Um, completely, completely agree. Well, I went off there, um, Let's go to the fourth quarter, and this is a segment we've been sitting on for a little bit. Um, we're definitely going to have to add more time to the clock because there was some serious frustration from you in, 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 in a text. Um, as angry, maybe, as I've seen you about a social media list like this. There was a list posted by Fox Sports College Hoops for the Five-on-five throwback edition, Indiana versus Purdue. The all-time starting five since 1990. Five-on-five list. Um, some would say blasphemy. Others would just roll their eyes at. Um, before I le- read the list, um, the floor is yours on this, Derek. You, you sent this. You kind of got the ball rolling on this list. Uh, I'm curious to know what what triggered you with this one. I'm going to use the word triggered because that's what you were. You were triggered. Angry, hostile, fired up, whatever you want to call it. It just made no sense. So I'm sitting there and I'm scrolling Twitter and I see this list pop up and it's talking about the the Purdue-IU game had just happened. And to highlight that game, to highlight the rivalry, this particular outlet, which I will not name because they don't deserve to be named, put out a list of the top five players from Indiana, top five players from Purdue, since 1990. And their list was an absolute joke. I'll let you read them off. Uh, But we're talking about guys on both sides of this, Indiana and Purdue, that, like, there were people, there were players on the list who won nothing. There were players on the list that, in the big picture, when you think about the last – 34 years of basketball at those two programs, those two universities, that other than scoring some points and winning a few games, they brought nothing to the program as a whole. Talking about Big Ten titles, national titles, Final Fours, Elite Eights, you name it. Uh, 
or just simply being a major impact player that elevated the program. They left guys off that list that were NBA All-Stars from those universities. They left guys off that list that were all Big Ten players, that were all Americans. Uh, shoot, on Purdue, they've left two guys off that were players of the year. I, that is it's shocking <laughs> to me. It's ridiculous. And I don't know. You and I talked a little bit. I don't know if this was a list that they just put out there. Maybe it was some intern that that was his job for the day. Maybe they were doing it to just simply stoke the fire and have conversation. Maybe they were doing it just to kind of fire up the fan bases and get some clicks on their website. I don't know. Uh, but goodness gracious. Yeah, that's my theory. They put this out there to make Indiana basketball fans upset, and congratulations, it worked. Because this is it is a joke. It's, it doesn't even make sense. It's... It's so bad. It seems like a person made it who is younger than 20. Like, they Googled Googled some people, and they were like, oh, this person's stats were really good. I'm going to throw them out there as, like, a throwback player. And everyone else is only who I've been alive for. Oh, this person was absolutely born after the year 2000. Yeah, absolutely terrible. And I don't know who you are, but... Um, we're, we're, you're thank, we're, uh, you should be thankful you didn't post this on your private page. Um, so I'm going to read the list. We're going to correct it. Um, I, it's, not, it's not make our own list. This is no, not, no, we're going to rewrite it for you. We're going to do your. We're going to do the work for you. Yeah, we're going to correct this for you. Don't worry. Um, so here's the five on five throwback edition Indiana Purdue since 1990. By the way, when you sent this to me, I didn't see since 1990, and I freaked out because I thought it was all time. <laughs> I, was like, I, asked, I, mean, I literally freaked out, but then I saw 1990, and I, I still wasn't thrilled, obviously, but I, I honestly was like, this is insanity. No, I mean, um, there is the caveat they catch you with that says, you know, since 1990, 1990. But, but it's still. still no, it's still all right. Okay, so for Purdue, Glenn Robinson. Absolutely should be there. Robbie Hummel, Juwan Johnson, Caleb Swanigan, and Etuan Moore for the Boilermakers. Starting five for the Indiana Hoosiers. A.J. Guyton, Victor Oladipo, Trace Jackson Davis, Eric Gordon, Cody Zeller. Um... The fact that there are several players that weren't mentioned first um, for Indiana is not very on the list. The fact that they weren't first is uh, just crazy. I mean, the Purdue one's bad. Don't get me wrong. I'm a you know I'm a bigger Indiana fan than I have been a Purdue fan in my life. But holy smokes! That IU list is bad. It's really bad, man. I I don't know. I you are you are stunned right now. I've just got nothing for you because whoever this is, and I'm I'm guilty of not doing my homework at certain times when it comes to looking up research and stuff like that, and 
you know, backing up arguments or whatever. But if I'm working for an outlet and I'm working for a sports company and my job is to put out a list of the top players from a certain program, Indiana, Purdue aside, whoever it is, you know, maybe do your research. Because we're talking about since 1990 for both of those programs who have been pretty elite programs going back. Now, obviously, we can have our conversation about IU and their their struggles of the last 15 or so years and how they've underachieved. But, goodness, how do you, I don't know how you put a list like that together and swing and miss on so many players on both sides, both programs. It, it is. It's astonishing. Like, really, it's... So let's get into this. Let's get into this and let's fix this. Let's fix this for them. And let's do this the right way. Let's Yeah. yeah let's I'm have sorry. I, I'm I'm a little bit as I just keep You're as spe- you're as speechless as I was when I sent it. Uh, as I keep thinking about it, I'm just like you're like I really do think whoever it was, their whole thing was the first five players from each program that popped into their head. Yeah, absolutely like, oh yeah, that guy's good. He played me in like, I think that's I think they they heard NBA draft and thought some NBA stuff, um, and that piqued it a little. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I, like literally, as I continue to look at this, I'm like, this is, this is pretty crazy. No, the Indian the Indiana list is abysmal, and the <laughs> fact that the Purdue list. I still felt like the Purdue list was done a little bit of injustice. So let's you and I get into this. Let's break this thing down. Let's let's put the list together that should have been that should have been posted and see what Agreed. see what you think and then we'll put it out there for for a vote on social media so the people listening can put their list together too. But okay, agreed. I'll let uh, I'll let you kick it off here. This was your thing. Uh, I want to know what you got. Uh, you want to start with Purdue? Yeah, let's go Purdue first. All right, and go ahead. You have the floor. We'll have some. I'm sure that will overlap, but. Looking back, again, going back to 1990. So looking at what five players would we pick from each individual program to represent that team from the last 34 years. At point guard, I got Carson Edwards. Led them to the Elite Eight. Was one of the best Purdue teams in recent history. Uh, Each one more at the two. I do think that that pick sticks. Uh, He was on some very successful Purdue teams. I went Jaden Ivey at the three. Uh, he's the okay. best player from Purdue in the last probably eight to ten years in my mind. Um, drafted number four overall, went to the Pistons. Having a semi-successful NBA career so far, um, would like to see him move to a different team to get a better opportunity, but that's a conversation for a different time. Uh, I'm going to save the best player for last. At the five spot, I went Zach Eady. How in the world this list was put together without putting Zach Eady on it. The dude, 7'4", 300 pounds. He's a walking mountain, and was the he's the reigning national player of the year from Purdue, currently playing, and you didn't put him on the list. So to me, that, that one made absolutely no sense. And then the four spot for me, I think you probably could have put this guy five times, and it would have made complete sense. At the four is Glenn Robinson. Yes, absolutely. Big Ten Player of the Year, National Player of the Year, number one overall pick. 
that kind of speaks for itself. He's the best player in to me in Purdue's history. Him and Rick Mount are one and two um, on the the Purdue Mount Rushmore. But uh, that would be my five from Purdue. And again, I think I think leaving off Zach Eady is uh, a fireable offense in my mind for whoever this was. Uh, it absolutely is. Um, it doesn't make any sense. But he's not on there. National Player of the Year. Um, I guess they maybe just didn't want to do like current play. I don't know, but it doesn't make any sense. He's, you know, you said something about what Ivy was being their best player in a long time, and I agree. But Purdue, like, thinking all-time Purdue basketball, there's conversations that Zach is the best player Purdue's ever had. Right. Um, and you know, I know that maybe it won't translate to the NBA, but in just terms of his impact on college basketball, it's huge. Um, for my list, I had some similar picks. I had Carson Edwards. He just is a guy that people are going to think about. He took over some tournament games. He was huge, man. Um, Edwards is one of the most fun players to watch. He was Jimmer Fredette-esque um, for a little bit. He really was. Um, I have two of my all-time favorite pretty players, Jawan Johnson and Etwan Moore. Um, just a fun team when they were there. Two guys that I think were the face of Purdue basketball for a while because there was a minute where Purdue was not talked about as much. And then in recent history, they've been really good. But like those two guys, I just remember being like, oh, those those guys were Purdue basketball. Like you thought about those two guys. Um, I think they just had an impact. I think um, they were really fun to watch. It was a, you know, a great team. And uh, I love those two guys. I think you can't leave them off. Um, I've got Zach Kinney as well. It doesn't make any sense why he's not on there. That makes zero sense. Um, there's there's not one argument unless they said and it didn't say on the list current players it doesn't make sense no. and then obviously Glenn Robinson I mean yep. Glenn Robinson is the best player the Purdue's had I mean probably Purdue's ever had um, you know maybe going back to Rick Mount which obviously doesn't um, again someone I was looking for by the way that I didn't see it was 1990 I was like no Rick Mount right um, but again uh, Glenn Robinson has to be on the list he starts the list and it should be um, makes no sense that can be on there and I think Carson Edwards would be on there Caleb Swanigan being on that list he was good, but has no business. Right. Has no business being on the list. And it, I'm not taking away from the player. He has no business being a top five player since 1990, if that's what you're saying. It makes right. absolutely no sense that he's, that he's on there. Um, I will never understand it. Um, now to the real tragedy here. <laughs> the, the Indiana Hoosiers list, um, that is crazy to me and there are guys that i get it and i bet people would disagree with mine maybe and maybe yours too um again i'm gonna let you lead this one or no do you want to go last i feel like you might need to do the finale here no okay you go i'll, I'll go first i don't care okay but yeah i'm, I'm with you 100 percent. this the indiana list leaving zach Eady off of purdue to purdue's list is a fireable offense this indiana list is is criminal looking at the five players that they picked. Because whoever this is, again, absolutely no homework in this list whatsoever. So looking at this list, I went back and forth with my point guard position. I almost put Tom Coverdale, but given the player success, I put Yogi Ferrell at my point guard. He won two Big Ten titles, one his freshman year, one his senior year. So he bookended his career with Big Ten titles, went to two Sweet 16s, and was a player to me that was, for his size, as tough and as good as anybody in the country. Uh, 
by the time he was a junior and a senior, was one of the most clutch players, not only in the Big Ten but in the country. So I'm putting Yogi at the point guard. Eric Gordon, to me, is the easy pick at the two guard. The dude is still in the NBA. Yeah, He's still getting buckets in the NBA and was one of the few freshmen in the country there at Indiana his one year that he played to average over 20 a night. And he was Indiana's best player as a freshman. Uh, they underachieve late, and that gets into the Kelvin Sampson conversation, the stuff that was going on behind the scenes with Indiana. But I don't know how you look at a list of – top players from Indiana the last or since 1990 and you don't put Eric Gordon on it. The greatest travesty of this <laughs> entire insane. list is you left off arguably the greatest player in Indiana history and the greatest scorer in Big 10 conference history history. Calbert Chaney's not on this team. The fact, the fact that Calvert Chaney, the all-time leading scorer, not only Indiana, but in the Big Ten Conference, you left him off the list. He was a dude that was the best player on the team. He was the best player in the conference. He was National Player of the Year. Went to Final Fours. I just That one, to me, when I read the list, I knew it was a joke at that point because you're not a serious person. If you're talking about a top five list, and he's an all-time top five. At Indiana, not just a since 1990. If you're putting a top five list, you're putting a top five list together for Indiana basketball. Period. Calbert Chaney is your starting small forward, and there's not a debate. Like there's not a second. No, no, it's not. They left off a national player of the year on both lists. Yes, that's crazy. I'm gonna round my list out. My front court. Chaney's at the small at the small forward because that's the only pick that makes sense. It's the only right choice. Uh, Jared Jeffries at power forward to me had two of the best years a player could have at IU. Uh, came in under some circumstances that were not ideal right after Bob Knight gets fired and leads that team to a national title game appearance in 2002. And then at the center spot, I'm going Cody Zeller simply because of his impact. Um, to me, he overachieved as a freshman. And then did everything he was supposed to do as a sophomore. The only thing they didn't do um, was win the national title that year. Um, but leading them to a to an NCAA tournament berth and a Sweet 16 his freshman year um, when they really were just supposed to be a borderline tournament team. Um, and then leading them into being the number one ranked team in the country the following year for the majority of the season. Uh, I'm going to go Zeller at the five spot. So that is one. That's one player that they put on the list that I agree with. But the other four, I think, are absolute. It's just criminal what they yeah. did to that list. And I will I will let you now go and speak on all of that. So I actually have three of the guys from their list on my list. They have Zeller. They have Gordon on their list. I, I, I'm okay with those picks. So for my list, I have Eric Gordon. And I almost didn't put him on the list, to be honest. I was very close. Because of the one-year thing. Right. That's fair. That good. That's fair. I don't think there's been a player at Indiana better than Eric Gordon since then. That... I don't think there has been. You could make and that argument. A couple of guys. Do what? Said so you could easily make that argument. And if he stays four years, does he beat Cheney's record? It's a conversation for another time. But it's got to be thrown out there. Like, he, he would be... Up there. Um, so I've got Gordon. And I had to put him on there 
because it's that good. Um, I have Cody Zeller. I think Cody Zeller meant a lot to 21st century Indiana basketball. Oh, yeah. Everything was, you know, Indiana's back, Indiana's back. And, you know, they weren't. But it was still the impact that he had. It was they have to get this kid. He meant everything to them. Um, I have Cody Zeller, and I think Cody Zeller is just an impactful player. He's an icon, I think, at IU for that reason. I also have Trace Jackson Davis. Okay. I'm not mad about that. that that's fair. Well, he's, he's on the list. He's the third all-time leading scorer at Indiana. You talked about it a while ago we were talking about. It. He must have been that good because everybody's back from that team. And, man, he fixed a lot of problems, like you said. Like, holy smokes, he wasn't working with the ton. I know he had, uh, you know, Jalen Hutchifino or whatever, but, my goodness, he was just a monster. He dominated Zach Eady. He was probably the best rebounder in the country. Yeah. Um, he was a defensive menace. And right now, he looks really good on that Golden State team. He looks like he's going to be a good NBA player. They made a mistake not taking him in the lottery. It looks like that. Um, so I think people are going to look back and go, man, Trace Jackson Davis are better than we thought. Yeah. So there's a guys I agree with. There's some recency bias to TJD, but when you look at his career, he is the all-time leading rebounder. Sure. He is the third all-time leading scorer. That's that's really big. Oh, and not to mention he's the all-time leader in block shots. So, and that block shots wasn't kept until, you know, until it's a stat that's kept later on. But still pretty important. Um, so I've got those three guys. My other two are, one of them is the no-brainer. And I'm going to reiterate your point. How in the, I wish we had a bleep button. How do they not have Calvert Chaney on that list? He is a top five Big Ten player ever. He is a top five Indiana player ever. And it it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. It's like, oh Calvert Chaney. When you go produce since nineteen ninety, you're like, oh Glenn Robinson, and then we'll figure out the other four. Right. Calvert Chaney, and then we'll figure out the other four. There's debate for four spots. There's not for the first. I laughed when A.J. Guyton was first. I don't have A.J. Guyton on my list. I barely didn't do it. He's the fifth all-time leading scorer, great player. Not crapping on A.J. Guyton at all. But when he was the first player on the list, you've got to be kidding me. I, I can't, like, we can't emphasize this enough. I keep going back and looking at him being, there's something wrong here. There's something wrong here. So I don't have... I don't have Guyton. I don't have Yogi, who I almost put, and Yogi was a great player there. Like I hate to not, you know, put him on there, but I have Calvert Chaney because it's insane that he's out there. And around that, I have Jared Jeffries. Jared Jeffries, I think, means a lot to Indiana fans because he was on that team when they lost night, and he went to a national title game, and that's the last time they've been. Yeah. As good as Gordon was, as good as Calvert Chaney was, as good as Trace Jackson Davis was, and Cody Zeller. None of those guys went to a national title game. And Jared Jeffries did with Mike Davis as the head coach. So something good was happening because of JJ, man. Like, to me, Jared Jeffries was my favorite IU player until Gordon got there. Like, I was, a, I was like seven years old, I think, yeah. whenever we went to the national title game. And all I knew was that Jared Jeffries was the dude. 
You know what I mean? And so until Gordon got there, Jared Jeffries was my favorite guy. Um, so that's my top five. Um, the you know, there's some debate. I mean, there's some guys really that could be thrown in there that aren't on the list at all. Victor Oladipo ain't one of them. And no. I love Victor Oladipo, but he ain't one of them, man. He's not on any of these all-time lists. You know, like that I went and looked through. He's he's not on anything. I I, I don't. I know he was in the NBA and everything like that, but I don't see it. Now, if this if this were like a personal favorite all-time five IU players, like Oladipo is on my list as far as being one of my all-time five favorite Indiana players. But if we're looking at this from simply a standpoint of who are the five best in the last 34 years, I don't think, again, as much as I like Oladipo, he's not on that list. He's just not there. Oh, it was hard for me not to put Jordy Holes and just for favorite stuff. So I, I think a little bit of this list goes to recency bias. I'm with you on that. Um, it's hard to argue not putting Tra- – or it's hard to argue leaving Trace Jackson Davis off this list. Uh, yeah. I think he's – you know, if you had like a, a top five and then you had a number six, you know, for me, I'd have a hard time not putting him there in that sixth slot. But just because of, like you said, where he ranks on all of the statistical category lists – and obviously, the amount of holes that he filled on that team the last two years and the problems that he covered up, um, I think, are very much coming to light at this point in how good of a basketball player he was during his time at Indiana. Uh, but I'm with you. I think a little bit of the list is recency bias. I think some of the list is maybe, uh, maybe being naive a little bit, maybe not knowing the the schools and the universities and the players real well, not doing your homework. Uh, obviously it's not doing your homework, but, and maybe the list was just made to, to stoke conversation. I don't know. Cause here we are talking about it, but uh, I think if we were to put our list out, I think they would be much more well received than what the, the finished product was from that particular sports outlet. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I'm excited to post this. I, you know, we're going to make a, uh, you know, a little, graphic to post that you guys can vote on um and maybe put some people on that we missed i mean i definitely think a more fun conversation is all time that yeah. maybe something for another day because that will be really exciting and for you as well i mean that's that's a really fun one too right because when you start talking about some of these things you're like yeah but that guy wasn't isaiah and so then it kind of there needs to be almost a pre and post you know, a certain year because pre nineteen ninety, there's a great discussion in post nineteen ninety. Yeah. Um, but regardless of that, I think we definitely corrected it, um, or at least did it some justice. Let's say we at least uh, put out a better product. Uh, it, it absolutely. I think you know. I think this definitely is a um, maybe a conversation starter, um, but regardless, it hurt our feelings. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. It really, really, what it does is hurt your feelings because you don't respect the game and you don't respect yourself because you're allowed. You, you made me dumber by you made me dumber by reading your list. Absolutely, absolutely. We're all we all have less basketball IQ. Yeah, I award you no points. Yeah, you get no points. May God have mercy on your soul. Yeah, you know there is a there is a Bob Knight esque halftime speech. With some explicitives that this that this deserves, I think uh, Bob Knight has this guy running some stairs at Assembly Hall. 
After he reads this one. I don't think he's running the stairs. I think he's buried under assembly hall. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is chair chuck worthy. Yeah, 100%. Um, 100% chair chuck worthy. For sure, for sure. Well, um, we want to know what you think about the list. We're going to post it. Um, we're going to post this travesty of a list, our two list, what we like, um, what we think would be a much better one. We want to know from you. Uh, please follow us uh, and check that out. Respond. Um, give us your thoughts. But you can find us on Facebook um, at the Picket Fence Podcast, on Twitter at Picket Fence underscore pod, and on Instagram, the Picket Fence Podcast. We'll be on Spotify. Um, we have great other episodes with interviews from coaches that we mentioned earlier in the episode uh, that are sectional favorites, state champions. Um, we have other great lists like this as well that um, are significantly better than anything Fox College Hoops can put out. Um, <laughs> well, we appreciate you, you listening. Share it. Uh, get on there and comment, like, and, and subscribe. Uh, from both of us here at the Pick and Fence podcast, uh, podcast, as always, I'm Cameron Smith. Derek Early. And as always, don't, don't get, get caught, caught watching, watching the paint, paint dry. dry.